again, when we get into the book of Ephesians, we've said this uh, many times, and of course it's the Word, and the Holy Spirit brings it out. But the position of the believer, the height of the, of the believer is, is revealed in the book of Ephesians like no other epistle or no other book in the Bible brings out. We talked about this, I think, recently also. But, you know, when we think about prior to being saved, we were held captives by, by the enemy. And now, thank God, because now that we're in Christ, we're more than conquerors in Romans 8, verse 31. But when we read the book of Ephesians, and we've said this many times before, the first three chapters of our very individual very personal, very intimate. And of course, no one uh, can replace intimacy with Christ and us as individuals. That's a very, very, because everything he did is very, very individual to each and every single one of us. So even in that individuality of what he's accomplished for us on the cross, it had to do with a specific plan for us. So God knows. I mean, he knows every single thing about us. We said recently too, um, many times we realize and we're thankful for, for what we're saved from, but we don't even understand the depth of what we were saved from. For instance, many of us, and we don't make an issue out, out of it, there was, we had certain lifestyles and, and that involved certain sins. And then we received Christ, and, the, and then the moment that we did, we don't realize we, we somehow think, because we have all of this in Christ, and we do, right? Uh, we don't have a past as far as God views us. We're brand new in Him. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, we're brand new in Him. And, but we don't know. None of us could say that we wouldn't do certain things because we have no idea how far we actually would have gone. Because only God and only He did with Christ on the cross, determined sin. So really what we're saying is, if we were to pick, if there were four different ways that we could have picked, and God, he, he would know every single one of those final outcomes. Thank God he saved us from so much. And the reason he did was to bring us into the salvation of what we truly have in him, what we're saved to. Now, so we were prisoners at one time, and this is brought out just briefly here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to see what the fourth chapter of Ephesians goes into and how it's so necessary for all of us to be constantly apprehended by Christ so that we can function in a continual renewal, and we'll look at those words tonight. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says in verse 24, it says, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now, in this context, when it talks about the servant, and when it talks about that, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, when by the time we get to 15, where it says, study to show yourself to approved unto God, a workman that needs to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's true for each and every individual. But the context is from an apostle speaking to a young pastor teacher. That's the whole context here. Should we all study? 
Right. We should as much as we can. That would, that would keep us out of a lot of struggles, wouldn't it? We spent, uh, all of us, we uh, spent a lot of time in the Word and, and spent more time in God's thoughts than our own. We'd be a lot better off, wouldn't we be? And if we communicated that to each other uh, more often than, than not. But here it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, in verse 24, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, forbearing. In other words, you, you're going to have to, as a, as a leader, as a pastor teacher, you're going to have to put up with a lot of things. <laughs> forbearing. And that means you, 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 you go through it without any mental attitude sin. There's no retaliation in those uh, that function a certain way. Verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. We're going to find out how our own thoughts... And if they're not God's thoughts, they're going to go into our emotions. And if my, our emotions aren't good, it's because we don't have God's thoughts, do we? And so what it says here is, when we function in thoughts that are not God's, then the mind, the thoughts initiate to the emotions. And we've taught clearly what the Bible teaches is the emotions can't think. They only feel and respond. So if, if you have bad emotions, you simply have bad thoughts that thought is not Christ. And in that, what do you do? Instructing, what are we to do as pastor teachers? We're to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. And in meekness, instructing those that what? Pose themselves. So bad thoughts and bad emotions, the enemy uses to do what? To oppose us and who we are in Christ. Right? Can't touch the position, we've talked this many, many times, especially uh, the previous uh, uh, few times that we had the Word, even into last week. And what a time, boy, let me tell you, what a time we had on the Word this morning. Very rich. So again, I mean, if you're only able to come a couple times a week, these things go on the website. All you have to do is click a wordofgrace.org and we'll, we'll have all the posts and all the recordings and counsel we'll ever need. It's just like a little click away. <laughs> so you don't actually miss anything. And, uh, and God can use it for all of us, and he does. But in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them a change of mind, repentance. What does it mean to change your mind? It's to change your thinking. And what God does with the word for all of us is he takes out all that nonsense which is not God's thoughts, which doesn't end up in good emotions, and he's moving that out and putting sense into the heads, into our heads. That's what he's doing with all of us. So in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Are my thoughts that is that that is acknowledging the truth? Are those my thoughts? If they are my thoughts, then my emotions will be what? I'll be good. Right? They'll be stable. There's never any, anything, honestly, there's never anything such as an emotional problem. It is a thought problem, constantly. So, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure God, right, 
peradventure God, God peradventure will give them. What is, when God gives us things, how's the only way he can give it to us? It's through grace, isn't it? Everything that God gives us, we don't deserve it. It's not based upon that. It's based upon the fact that he gives us grace. Here's the key, though. Who does he give grace to? Those that are humbled. Remember what the definition of humility is? It's not thinking too highly of ourselves, right? That's why we teach. Again, even good emotions are not to be what we cling to. They are not to be that that directs us, okay? So humility is not thinking too highly of myself. Humility is also not thinking what? Too lowly of myself, right? Okay, and that is where, we, where we'll struggle. We don't realize yet, we don't realize yet in the good emotions, if we're clinging to them and make, making them to be the definition of who we are, my God, what happens when they fail? Because they will, they'll change. Our emotions will change. And sometimes they do because they're based upon choices that we make or they're based upon certain plans that the enemy will give us, okay, that aren't of God. And he can do that with all of us, right? So who does God give grace to? To those that he's humbled. What does it mean to be humbled? It means to have a will submitted to him. To be completely submitted to him. I I surrender my will over to him. And then what? I trust in him. Now, where it says here, to the acknowledging of the truth. Okay. Is Christ the truth? We know that in John 14, 6, don't we? We know that in John 17, 17. He's the truth. Right? So what that means is, I am going to submit to him my will experientially, and then what do I experience? The truth of who he is in me. The truth of who he's made me to be. And then look what it says. And then when we do that, if God gives them, gives us repentance, and who it is, it is the goodness, Romans 2 and 4, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repent, to change our minds. Do we constantly need that? Change your mind. What's that mean? Change your thoughts. Change your thinking. Does it involve yourself? Everything about ourself outside of Christ. Okay, what will direct us if it's not Christ about self? Listen to it. It's circumstances and situations. How many times has God reminded us, and we do need to be reminded, that either it's going to be Christ directing us, guiding us in our circumstances. And if it's not him, the circumstances and situations are what becomes my guide. And either they'll be so high or they'll be so low. And that's why it says this. Why it's very important is this, that they may recover. They may awake is what it says, really. That they can wake up, wake up to proper thinking. You know, when we don't think properly, it's like a person, right, who, who is literally, is like a drunk. You become drunk. You can't think soberly. We're not thinking soberly. And so what it says here is that they may awake themselves 
Out, listen to what it says, out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. See, when my will's not submitted to Christ, who is the fulfillment of God's will for me personally, positionally and experientially, I am taken captive. Can he take me captive in my position? No. Can he and will he try to in my experience? Yes. What is it based on if it's not truth? To the acknowledging of the truth, what is it? It's a lie. Do you see where it says snare there? Well, when we look at the scriptures, we're going to have to turn, and you don't have to turn there, uh, but I can read it to you. I'll turn in my little Bible here, and I'll read it to you. This is Proverbs 29, verse 25. Listen to what it says. The fear of man, listen to this now, and we need to understand it this way. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord will be safe. It says that in this translation. You know what the Hebrew says? We'll be set on high. You'll be above your circumstances and situations. Okay, that's right. They will. And based upon God's plan and our learning what we're not in the flesh and learning who we are, those circumstances will change, will change to deal with those issues in our life. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Okay, we'll be set on high. Now, when it says the fear of man, what it's saying there is, is I'm not, me as an individual, I am not afraid of another man. It's that me, as a believer, I am operating in fear because my circumstances changed. <laughs> I'm operating in fear. Why? Why would my circumstances and situations cause me fear? Because is Christ at that point my head, my proper head experientially? Is he my guide? You know, he said in Psalm 48, verse 14, he'll be your guide until the death. Till you see him face to face. Till you see him face to face. So, but when it says here, the fear of man, man operating in fear, that's what the enemy does. He'll use our circumstances and situations as a snare, a trap. Here, it's a gin. You know what a gin is? Way back, uh, they would make this gin, even out of wood, and they would have, they would put some bait in there, have a stick, and they would take a string and pull it, and then they would be hidden. You wouldn't... The one that would be doing that would be hidden. Then when that, the victim would go in to get, the, get what was there as bait, they just pulled the stick down and they would be caught. That's what it's saying here. That's what the enemy does. But listen, in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's not. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power. Do we have Christ in us? Do we? Okay, tell me, does he have all power? I mean, come on. Think of the power that he has. He's all, do you remember what he said in John 14, verse 1? I'll read it to you. Because it's good for me too. Because <laughs> I'm here. And I'm being taught just as much as everybody Look at John 14, verse 1. Okay, John 14, verse 1. Look at what it says. Let not your heart. Does that mean the thing that's beating? Is it our ticker? No, it's our mind. Let not your mind be what? Troubled. 
You believe in God? Do you believe in God? Hmm? Well, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Also, in John the 16th chapter, it may, he makes it clear that the whole time that we're here, the whole time we are here, we have two comforters. We have Christ in heaven interceding for us. He said that again. I'll give you another comforter in John 14, 16. And, and in that context, he said, I will never leave you as orphans. What's that mean? Does an orphan have parents? Do we have a spiritual father? Seriously. Okay. Do we have a spiritual father? Anytime we want to run to. That's right. Do we have a head? Who is our head? As an adult, who's our head? And we're to lean on him, aren't we? Aren't we? Right? Because he, when we do that, he fulfills when we submit to him all the responsibility and accountability of trust that we need when we submit to him and when we don't make others become that for us. And that's the truth. Listen, if I go and prepare a place for you, he's done that. So what is that talking about? All eternity, he's gone and prepared a gorgeous place for us in eternity. Now, since, since we're all adults, we're all, all adults here, older adults, we can learn. There's a Latin saying, it's called a fortiori. A fortiori simply means this, that God having already done the most, has he taken care of our eternal future? Has he? Okay, so let's just, let's just give an illustration. Say it took him 100,000 push-ups to take care of our eternity. How many do you think it would take him to deal with our time? Here we are in time. And what do you compare time? How do you compare time with eternity? Has he taken care of everything about us in time? Has he? Did he already do that? Are we trusting him that he might do it? <laughs> Is it already taken care of? Yes. Psalm 31, verse 15. Listen to this. Our times are in his hands. Believers, adults, your times and my times are in Christ's hand. They're not in any other person's hand. Make that clear, right? right? And by the way, in John 10, 28 and 29, we are in his hand. But in John 10, 27, do we hear his voice? Are we submitted to him? Are we yoked up to him? Are we? We are positionally, but are we experientially? So by the time I see this, now we're gonna, we'll have the teaching. Again, the first three chapters of Ephesians are very experiential and very, very, very personal. And again, seriously, again, if, you, if, you, if there's a time when you feel like you need counsel or you feel like you miss the things in the morning, go right to the website. Give God time. You'll never regret it. Because it's his word. There's no question about it. Okay? And, uh, and you'll be blessed. You will be blessed. So those first three chapters of that. But now, even when you look at Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1, where it says, I, the prisoner of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. He was saying, I was once 
captured by the enemy who took captured my will. Remember, we just read that in 2 Timothy 2, 26. They, their will has been captured by Satan's will experientially. He can't touch us positionally, but he will experientially. But now he says this, for this cause, this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Is it good to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Which one would you want to pick? Who do you want to be a prisoner of? Then it goes into Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner, the prisoner of the Lord, and really, you know what it says, it's the prisoner in the Lord, right? And, and what has made us a prisoner and captured us? It's his love for us. And will his love ever let us go? Did not his love fulfill a plan for us? Did not his love prepare a place for us in eternity? Did he leave us comfortless or as orphans in John 14, uh, 15, 16, and 17, and 18? Will he leave us as orphans without, a, without uh, a father or a parent? No. We have two comforters. We have one in heaven. Did you know that? By the time you know, even before you and I start worrying and allowing circumstances and situations and changes certain things changing from one thing to another in our life and they bring in fear. Did you know even before that happens, he's already interceding for you by name? It's Romans 8, 34. That's Hebrews 7, verse 25. That's Hebrews 9, verse 24. He's already interceding because he knows where those thoughts that aren't his are leading you and what's going to be the result. He's already interceding for us. And he does so by name because he knows his sheep by name in John 10, verses 3 and 4. And it's always good in John 10, verse 27, to hear, listen, the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd is your head, Jesus Christ. That's who your head is. And you have him to go to immediately. And when you go to him, and you're in fellowship with him and in communion with him, when by the time you get with another Christian and that Christian's experiencing him, now you have fellowship. It's the only time you do. The only time. We, we brought it out, was it this morning or one of these mornings? The only time we have fellowship is when it's around Christ. Period. There's no such thing as anything else. There's no such thing as fellowship outside of Christ. There's no such thing whatsoever. Now, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you're called. With what? Look at what it says. With all lowliness. With all humility. I'm not, you know, this circumstance and situation, this change in my life, I'm not thinking, you know, and maybe it was a great time, thinking so highly, right? And then the circumstance changes. Now it's so low. Are you thinking of yourself? Apart from Christ in either place, he'll show us. He won't condemn us. He will certainly show us. He will. And I believe, too, even before we do certain things or go certain places, he's already given us counsel and even asked those to pray. That counsel, even before we did it. Did anything change? He didn't. He didn't change. And by the way, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's waiting to be gracious. He will not violate your will. 
You won't. But you can freely submit it. And even though you may have free will, and I may have free will, it's not free till it's submitted to him. Who is our freedom? And by the way, you know, and I know, we can tell the content of our thinking by what our, we cause our emotions to have to pay for. And let me make this clear too. Huh? Do you have peace? You know something's wrong. Do you have peace? Okay, is Christ our peace in Ephesians 2.14? Tell me, in what place on planet Earth is he not at peace? You tell me. Is he? Can I have peace instantly? Well, I have it in him, don't I? That's right. You know, we said this also, too. The ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit, the first cause in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is love. He's the first cause. He is uncreated, uncaused life. He's in create. And love, okay. And when I when I experience the love that's captured me and made me more than a conqueror, again in Romans eight thirty seven, what's the first thing I experience? Joy. Now our joy may be up and down, <laughs> right? I may have had joy last week or the last few days. What do I have now? What changed? Did his love change? I mean, is his love the source of our joy? Or is it another person, place, or thing? You tell me. <laughs> really. But one thing that we do have is peace. Yeah? There's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. And against such, it says there's no law. When it says, it's not legalism it's talking about. There's no law of the flesh. Listen, I'll just read this. Here's, here's the ninefold fruit we, okay? There's one cause and all the other eight are the effects of that one cause. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit taking the reality of who we are in our position in Christ. And when my will is submitted, when I come and I hear and I'm hungry and thirsty for the word and put it above everything, when I put it above every single thing, everything. When I put the word above everything, I am giving him who has first place every place. And when I do that, okay, when I do that, what do I experience? Remember in Luke 15, 7 and 10, it says over one sinner that repents, it says there's joy in the presence of the angels. Well, whose joy do you think they're hearing? That's God's joy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians, the fifth chapter, we have the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's the ninefold fruit. I will show you the fruit of our own thinking. It's very interesting first. Look what it says here. Okay? Galatians 5, verse 16 says this. This I say then. Now Paul's writing this, but who's saying it? God, the Holy Spirit, right? It's God. This I say then, look what it says, walk in the Spirit. What's that mean? Walk with a will submitted to God so the Holy Spirit can guide you properly with proper thoughts that will equal proper emotions. Listen, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen, my will, apart from Christ, not submitted to him, what's the only thing it can function in? 
the lust of the flesh. You'll see that in Romans, the eighth chapter. I'll give you all the verses, and you can put them all together in privacy in yourself, and you'll see the truth of it. In Romans 8, verses 4 through 8, you'll see it crystal clear in the scriptures. Okay. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen, for the lust, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. This whole time, when my will's not submitted, and my thoughts are bad, and my emotions are bad, as a result, what does it say? The, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Look what it says. These are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. That's a terrible place for a Christian to be, isn't it? We have the flesh in us in Romans 8, verse 9, but we're not of it. And, I, and I've been bringing this out, and God keeps bringing it back to my memory. There's two little words we need to understand, that word in and of. The flesh is in us. We're not of it. But can we think in it and function in it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so when I function in the flesh, okay, then what is that? Here it is. In the flesh is just thinking. I mean, is there any good thing in, in our flesh that's in us, that we're in, but we're not, that's in us, but we're not of? Is there anything good in it? Anything of God? No. So if it's flesh and it's not God and God is good, what's the only other thing it is? It's evil. The flesh is evil, by the way. <laughs> evil. Right? That's what Jesus said. It is the spirit. That's why Galatians 5.16 is very key right here in this context. It is the spirit that enlivens, brings into the experience the life that Christ is in us. So that we're not trying to live, we're not just trying to get by moment by moment, hour by hour, night by night, day by day. That's not the normal Christian life. You know why? Because Christ is our life. He is our life. Are we trying to live it without him? Based on our own thoughts and our own emotions. Well, this is Romans, the eighth chapter. This is uh, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Did you hear that one? Is there any condemnation, any way that God would condemn us at all in his sight? No. Okay, again, the rest of that, if you see it in a translation, cross it out. It is not in the original Greek manuscripts. At all. <laughs> Any Greek New Testament's not in the original. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ, right? Are we in the flesh by being in Christ positionally? No. But can I function in it experientially even though I am in Christ positionally? Yes. There's where the bad thoughts and bad emotions come from, the flesh. Now, it says in verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Where is the law of, of sin and death, death located? It's in the flesh. Are we the flesh anymore? No. Can we function in it based upon a lie and have a terrible, miserable experience? Yes, for any of us. Look at what it says. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through what? The flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice that. Again, he didn't have a sin nature. Had a human nature. And for a sin sacrifice, that's what I should really say if it's not saying in any of your translations. 
Okay, he didn't became, become sin, he became the sin sacrifice. Major difference, right? Condemned sin in the flesh. Where is condemnation located? In the flesh. Can I function experientially in it? Yes, but is it my true position? Yeah, it's not my true position. My true position is in Christ. So if I function in that, right? Tell me something. Did you ever feel miserable being in Christ? Did you? Well, I mean positionally. In your experience? Of course you did. Of course I did. We had to grow. We felt miserable. Come on. How many? Come on. Put your, I had a bad day today. What was that based on? Well, I didn't feel good. What was that based on? Bad thoughts. Are you still in Christ? Yeah. Anything change? Did God's view of you change in Christ? Did your view change where you won? Something changed. What happened? What happened? Tell me what happened. Something changed. Listen, it's great to have fellowship and counsel from others, but are you relying on them for something that only Christ can give you? Are you? As any of us? That's why, we, that's why the Bible teaches. A Christian never has to be lonely. That's a choice. It's good to be alone with God because he's going to teach us in the flesh what we're relying on that's not of him to show us that he is reliable and to replace it. That's what Proverbs 3 verse 5 says. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. What's that mean? Every thought in your mind is to be trusting him. Well, does he change? He's not trustworthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with every thought in your mind. What will be the result? You won't lean to what? Your own understanding. Well, where does our own understanding come from if it doesn't come from Christ? The flesh. I don't know. Is the flesh evil? John 6, 63. It is the Holy Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits what? Nothing. But the words, this is why it's so important here. And again, I just honestly want to make this clear. It is always okay to get counsel and have fellowship with other believers in other areas. But I want to make this clear. That we're here, God will give you specific counsel here. Because that's where he's dealing with you. There is no question about it. I've always taught that. Never taught anything ever any different than that. Never. And wouldn't do it either, by the way. So, for what the law could not do in Romans 8, 3, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own sin as this sin sacrifice condemned sin in the flesh, in his body, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. Can we do that? Can the flesh be my experience? Yes. What's it based on? Truth or a lie? What would it be based on? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, John 6, 63. It is God the Spirit that quickens, makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto, their Spirit, that's Holy Spirit, and they are life, that's Christ. That's the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ constantly. <coughs> And showing us in our experience, as we're submitted to him, who we truly are in our position. 
And that's why walk in the spirit, we read it in Galatians 5.16, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because if you walk in the flesh, you won't allow the Holy Spirit to fulfill the truth about who you are in Christ. Do we see that? So that the law, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Listen, the context of those that are in Christ, and they can, and we can walk in the flesh because we're not submitted to him. Here it is. For they that are after the flesh, this is why we have problems, by the way. This is at times where we struggle. These are the things that keep us from going forward. Remember what we said? If we're not going forward, where are we going? Backwards. And does that start when we actually physically leave, or is it in the thinking? It's in the thinking. It's in the plans. Now, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Look at what it says. For to be carnally minded is what? What's death? Separated from Christ. You wonder why, and I would wonder why I have such a bad day, miserable thoughts, bad emotions, and bad thinking. Why? Because of this reality. You know, we either want this stuff, and God has to reduce it to us, or how the heck are we going to live today as Christians? Come on. Boy, for all of us. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. To be spiritually minded is what? Life. Who's our life in Colossians 3, 4? Christ. Okay, listen again. Okay, I am not trying, listen to this, to live the Christian life. I'm not trying to make good decisions. I'm submitting him so his life will cause those good decisions. I am not trying to live the Christian life. Nowhere in the scriptures is that ever taught. It's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible. Tell you why. Because Christ is our life. Colossians 3, 4. And when he's my life, my true life, and I'm experiencing him, guess what I have? Peace. And Ephesians 2, 14, who's our peace? See? But life, there it is. Romans 8, 6. But life and peace. Spiritually minded, I experience Christ. Intimacy with him. Listen, I don't care where I am. I don't care if I'm working. It doesn't matter where I am. Who's in control of me? Positionally. Who is? Who can touch me? Remember the dot in the circle? Uh And remember, we said that circle's not just like this. I mean, it is a complete circle all the way around. Nothing can penetrate anywhere. He's in control of us. But to be carnally minded is life and peace. He's our peace in Ephesians 2.14. He's our peace. He's one peace for us by the blood of his cross in Colossians 1.20. Listen, because the carnal mind, here it is. Listen to this, guys. This is true for any of us. The carnal mind, what's a carnal mind functioning in the flesh? The flesh in Romans 8.9, we'll see it right in here, is in us, but we're not of it. For to be, because the carnal mind is what? Enmity, look that word up. Enmity, listen to this, against God. Did you hear that? Oh, God. Enmity. Enmity is, all right, just even in the Latin. Enmity in the Latin is strong, 
settled, unchanging thoughts and feelings of hatred to God. Now, we brought it out, the scriptures has brought it out to us. Is, uh, is the flesh that is, that is in us that we're not of, is it evil? Is it? What are we functioning in? Tell me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can tell you one thing. I've made my own plans based upon my own thoughts, based upon my own feelings. And I'm going to tell you, every time they failed. And that was the, literally, that was God doing it. <laughs> and being very thankful. Because the carnal mind is enmity, strong, settled feelings of hatred against God. Why? Because it's not subject to the law of God. What is the law of God? The law of God is going back to Romans 8, verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus has made me what? Free. Free. Why, what, are we, is, is God resting in the position of Christ where he's located us? Is God resting? Where's our rest? What changes it? What changes the positional rest that we have in Christ? Wouldn't that be some kind of an experience? Because you can't touch the, you can't touch the, the relationship. In the position, you can't do it. But boy, does he go after the experience, you know. Oh, and he gets a lot of credit for him just getting us in the flesh. You know, because in one area of the flesh that I function in, and it's not dealt with, what does it lead to? Sin leads to sin. Sin unto sin, Isaiah 30, verse 1. Psalm 69, verse 27, says they add iniquity unto iniquity. That's right, and that's Romans 6, verse 19, quotes Psalm 69, verse 27. So that's what we see here. But are we in the flesh, and is it who we are? No, see? So then, they that are in the flesh, what, is that position or experience? Well, we know Romans 8, 1 is position, isn't it? So here, can it be position? No, it's experience. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Look at what it says in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh. Why do you function there? Why do you think there? <laughs> See what it says? You are not in the, in, in the flesh, but in the spirit. Listen to what it says. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. That word dwell is quite a word. Okay. That is the same sense of John 6, 63. And that is the same sense of Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word find a place of home in you where Christ can rest, and that's the place where you rest. Is there any rest outside of Christ? Is there? Mm -hmm. Nope. So I would say, do um, you could say to a Christian, um, so how, how was your day? Did you have peace today? And be honest, did you have peace today? Experiential? Did you experience the peace that's yours? You didn't? It's not an accusation or a condemnation. It is a loving correction, isn't it? That's right. God is taking out in the experience nonsense and bringing in the reality and putting sense into our head about who we truly are. 
And by the way, he's in control. See? But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This would be the spirit of God dwell in you. How does the spirit of God dwell in us? How could it if we weren't in Christ? Right? And what that word dwell means is when you're, when you're led by the Spirit in Galatians 5.16, right? When you're led that way, then that gives the Holy Spirit freedom to take the things of Christ in your experience, show them unto you so that you have fellowship. Because what can we do apart from God? God the Father gave us His Son. The Son gave Himself to the Father, and in, in that sense, they were both one in John 10, verse 30, in giving themselves to us. And out of that flows who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does his part, too. He doesn't speak of himself. No, he regenerates us in Titus 3, verse 5. He seals us. He's the proof of that we're owned, we're owned by God. You see that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We're sealed in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. We're sealed in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. And the seal is proving what? We're not our own, but his. It's a great place to be, captured by his love. So as we wrap this up, as we wrap it up here, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But do we have him? We don't always rely on him, but do we? Do we have that comforter? Christ said you'll have two comforters. One who's in heaven, interceding for you, knowing where you're headed, and interceding that you stop. <laughs> that you stop, because he knows where that's going to go. Right? Again, we've taught anticipative love and prevenient grace. Anticipative love, we don't know it, but it doesn't stop him. Provenient grace is the grace that doesn't even have a thing to do with our will. It's just God operating freely in us. But boy, when we allow him to humble us and we receive it, now we have love and we are immovable. Okay? We don't walk by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And I'm going to close it with this. We don't walk by sight. We didn't even get into these words to which I'm definitely going to get into uh, to be apprehended and to be renewed in detail. Right? But let me tell you, we are, we, he, his love has captured us. Okay? And so now, <laughs> he waits to be gracious to us. He will not violate our free will. He won't. He won't do it. He won't do it to any of us. So instead, instead of being alienated, right? And can we be alienated from the life that God has given us in Christ in our position? And we can't, not, but in our, in our position, but can we in our experience? We can be alienated. You know what it means to be an alien? It means to be estranged away. Just very briefly, to be estranged away, it means to be a non-participator. We're not participating in Christ in us, who is our life. And if we don't experience the life that he is in us, what are we going to do? We're going to try and live somehow. That means those are the lusts of the flesh that come in. And we need that. We need like these highs. Constant high. I got to do this. I got to be here. I got to be with this person. My God, what do you like when you're alone? Is Christ there? Is he there? 
We need to be renewed constantly, right? Because he loves us, right? Amen? Okay, amen.